Aaron Lee Ralston, American outdoorsman, mechanical engineer, motivational speaker. It was 15 years ago this Thursday that he went for a hike by himself, having ridden his bike there, I believe, in the Blue John Canyon area of southeast Utah. It's a no man's land. In fact, it was one of the last areas ever mapped out in the United States. He enjoys the outdoors. He was uh, hiking, backpacking all. He was climbing here or there a little bit. He came up upon a uh, canyon little area that he needed to drop down into to keep walking. And so he dropped, ended up hanging on a rock, a chalkstone rock of about 800 pounds. And uh, a little awkward, so he tries to gather himself to get over to the side of this big boulder and uh, just drop a few feet down. And so he's hanging, and he seeks to drop a few feet down, and all of a sudden, this chalkstone boulder that had been there for who knows how many years, stuck, trapped there, began to roll because he had just the right amount of weight in just the right spot. And as he jumped, this 800-pound boulder started to fall on him. And as it started to fall on him, he tried to shield himself, and the boulder smashed his hand against one side. And then it came back, and it smashed his arm against the other side, and it pinned his arm. In the middle of nowhere, he never left a note. He had no modern communication back then to send a note. He, of course, screams. His one hand is withering in pain and his other is trapped. And for 45 minutes, he wrestles and tries to get out from underneath this boulder. But he cannot do it. He is trapped. He was trapped for the whole day. And not only that day, but the next day and the next day, and the next. There's a book written about it. Between a rock and a hard place, even a movie that's done, 127 hours. Why? Because he knew he had no hope and that no one was going to come get him and the boulder was not going to move. And so... Through those hours, he sipped the last few amounts of water that he had and some of the small pieces of food he had. And as one day moved into another, he knew he was going to die. And there was only one option he considered of any viable reason to give hope. And that was as his arm was pinned behind this boulder, he would need to cut off his arm. Maybe you know the story of Aaron Ralston. That's exactly what he did. He had his knife and a plier apparatus. He was really... Concerned because he didn't know how it could happen. And then he realized if he broke the bone, then the bone would be severated. And that was his biggest concern. And so as that hap after that happened, 
caused it to happen, he took his knife and began to cut his skin. Then he started to bleed and realized he had not put on a tourniquet. So he grabbed the thing to put his tourniquet on. Withering in pain, then he comes across the tendons. And the tendons were pretty tough. So he couldn't really cut them. He had to sort of grab them plier-like and twist them and turn them and get the tendon to break. And then he came across a long nerve. He flipped it with his knife. Fire went up his arm. And he took the initiative and cut that nerve. He got through all the arm and he fell back and he was released. He had to cut off his forearm in order to live. He navigated his way out of that little canyon and back across some trails and over some other hills. And and he saw a couple other hikers. Finally, he just collapsed. And they grabbed him. They got him to care. And he lives to this day. Would you cut off your hand? Would you cut off your arm? Would you cut off your foot? If it was needed for you to live. I don't know that I would. But some of us in here. As graphic as that is. And if you want to know more details. You can read the book and watch the movie. Need to cut some things off. In order for us to live. This is not an easy message for me. In two ways. One the subject matter is sort of predictable. The other is, it hits close to home to me, because I'm human just like you. The shocking words of Jesus, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark for us today, are these. This is Jesus speaking. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell. Where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Friends, this is a shocking statement of Jesus, is it not? And your response, as well as mine, is, he said what? He said, cut off your hand? Cut off your foot? Pluck out your eye? Seriously? Seriously. Seriously, just as Aaron had to cut off his forearm, his hand to be able to live. So you and I are told by Jesus Christ that there is stuff in our life that needs to be cut off in order for us to live life in the kingdom of God as he intended. Seriously? Yes, Jesus meant that. Literally? No. 
He was speaking in hyperbole, hyperbolic language. You know, it's like a parent saying to a kid, if you do that again, I'm going to skin you alive. Did your mom say that to you? She really going to skin me alive? No, but she's making a statement of exaggeration to let you know how important and critical it is. Just like the Aaron Ralston story, though. We cringe at that. But Jesus, Jesus spoke these words in hyperbolic language to get you and I to wake up to the fact that that which is causing us to stumble is keeping us from real life. But yet you and I, we cherish, we coddle these things that like, well, this, this is, well, I'm sorry, it's just sort of my favorite sin. It's my escapist kind of sin. It doesn't do anybody any harm. But Jesus comes and he says, no. No, this sin is going to kill you. You will find death if you continue to go down this road. And maybe it's not one sin. Maybe it's a pattern of sin. Maybe it's a pattern of how you're living your life. And the reason this is hard for me in one sense is like, oh, wow, this was a great day, especially if you're new. This was a great day to show up at church. They're preaching on sin. (laughs) Yes, we are. You know why? Because Jesus spoke about sin. The Bible's clear about the issue of sin. And the modern church today doesn't like to talk about sin, and maybe you don't either. Sin is a critical matter. And sin is not child's play. Sin can be like a boulder that entraps you and brings death to you. Are you shocked enough about the sin in your life to do something radical about it? A lot of times we're not. We'll just continue to carry on in life. It's good. Everything else is fine. This is hitting. That's good. I'm even doing well at church. Got friends. That kind of. But there's this hiddenness that goes on in your life. But it's, it's taking you away from the life of God. You see, God's not out to kill your fun. He's out to kill the enemy that seeks to destroy your life. And it comes through various means. And one of those is to get you to stumble and to fall. Jesus was an itinerant preacher, you know. He traveled from place to place and he spoke. And a lot of times as he spoke, he would repeat things over and again. We have different records of Jesus using this shocking statement with people that he was speaking to. Sometimes it's a synoptic representation in another uh, section of Scripture, which is true. When we look at Matthew, he says it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you're going like, wait a second, was that what we were talking about? This is what precedes the cut off the hand and foot and gouge out the eye in the Sermon on the Mount. You got to put the words of Jesus in context. And he puts it in context here as it relates to the eye and tells that sin is not just the action, it's the attitude that precedes it. This in itself right here is a shocking statement. Because 
everybody then thought that if they just obeyed the law of Moses and, and dotted their I's, crossed their T's on what was legislated to them, they were fine. And Jesus took this whole to a whole new level. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully. And it's not this whole thing that, and, and, and men, there's not a man in here that does have this challenge, right? But it's all of us, both genders, because lust isn't just about the physical desiring of another person or an act. It's, as one person described it, I like this. Lust is the desiring of a person, pleasure, or possession to which I have no moral right. Desiring of a person a pleasure, or a possession to which I have no moral right. And we have this tendency to lust. And to lust and think it's the next thing. And so Jesus, mindful of this and mindful of the death that can bring if you go down that road, he then, in the Sermon on the Mount, then he goes to what we just referenced in Mark. Matthew five twenty nine. if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. That's not just pluck it out. That's dig it out. And throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay. Okay, Mr. Itinerant Preacher. I got you with that. But he comes back in Matthew 18. Maybe another crowd, another situation. He says it again. And, and I repeat this for, yes, effect. Matthew 18, 8, if your hand or your foot, he goes to the foot in this passage, causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. All right, Mr. Itinerant Preacher, Jesus, why do you keep using this analogy? I believe is because people didn't realize the seriousness of sin and how sin leads them away from the kingdom of God. They thought they were good practitioners of the law. I've come across people that uh, would often say that they have come to a place in their Christian faith where they do not sin. And I would like to say congratulations to you. If you define sin merely as acts and actions, maybe so. But our Lord Jesus described sin as attitudes and thoughts as well. Why? Because he's mean. He wants to make us walk around being guilt-ridden people. No, he wants us to understand the process of how things become not addictive in our life, but how they become destructive in our life. And it's serious. You know, I think all of us in this room would say we would like to be in heaven someday. We would like to be in the new heaven and new earth as God restores all things. We would like to be living in his eternal kingdom. We know his kingdoms come here now through his presence of his spirit like we prayed about earlier. And, and we can enjoy uh, his rule and reign in our heart. But we would all say, you know, I really would like to be in that heaven. But his perfect heaven, his new heaven and new earth is defined by several things. One of those is defined by his very presence. We will not be outside of his presence. But it will also be defined as a place where there is no sin. And there are no sinners. There are redeemed sinners, saved by 
God's grace, but that place of perfect paradise for eternity that you and I aspire to, we would long to be a part of, is a place where sin is not found. And so Jesus would say these things because sin had to be dealt with. He ultimately ended up dealing with the provision for the forgiveness of our sin with what he did on the cross, which was more painful than cutting off an arm. But he wanted his people that were listening to him to realize the seriousness of sin. And so that's really the first thing that I just posed to you today. Maybe it's the only thing you need to walk away from. Do you? Fill in your name. Do I, Carrie? Take serious sin in my own life. The hand represented what you do. The foot represented where you go. The eye is what you see. Is there something that you do? Maybe it's not even sin. But because you do this practice, it could easily lead you in a pathway of sin. And you need to cut it off. Your feet. Is there somewhere you go? Some people you hang around. Oh, innocent themselves are good people, you think. But man, their activities and what they're involved in and what they do. And uh, some of these other places where they go, your feet don't need to be going there. So you just need to cut off your feet and, and don't go to those places that lead into those kinds of sins and temptations. What about the eye? Is there places your eyes go? And this can be in the area of lust as it relates to looking lustfully upon another person, or it can be looking upon material possessions or other things. And I was thinking about it this week. Our our eyes, our eyeballs are taking in so much stimuli and interaction through media, television, other kinds of things, that, and internet, that you're like, wow, everything's coming through the eyes. And I see something and I say to myself, I would like to have that car. Now, is that sin? No. But if you start dwelling upon possessions as your hope in life, it can lead to destruction. So that's why Jesus had this hyperbolic language. Cut off your hand. Cut off your foot. Gouge out your eye. Pluck out your eye. Do whatever you need to to stay clear from that pattern that can bring destruction in your life. Let me give you a couple concepts of what sin is if you were to take the word sin itself. There's this idea of transgressing and this idea of missing the mark. Transgressing is to transgress means to step across or to go beyond a set boundary or limit. Okay, Um, I'm glad the the NBA playoffs are on. My team's the Indiana Pacers. They can go up three games to one this evening on the Cavaliers and LeBron if they keep playing hard like they've been playing. Right? Thank, appreciate that. So we're good with this. All right, and so. uh, I'm going to watch the game. And when you watch a game, whether it's basketball, or it could be football, soccer, whatever it is, there are boundary lines. Are there not boundary lines? It would be foolish in watching this game today if the starting five decided, hey, let's line up around the outside of the boundary line and see if we can win this game. No, if you're outside the boundary line, you're not in the game. You cannot go across that line. 
if you see a sign that says, do not trespass, right? You are taking life into your own hands to trespass across that line. So this is the concept, transgressing, to step across or go beyond a set, a boundary, or a limit. And God has those limits, those boundaries there in our life, not to ruin our life, but to let us in on the action of playing the game. You see, life is lived fully. To be fully alive in Christ, you have to be inside the boundary lines. The boundary lines aren't there to ruin you. They're there to guide you to what real life is. So I like the concept of transgressing, transgressions. We know that term. It sounds like a big word. What does that mean? To be across the boundary line, a boundary line that God has intended. The other conceptual idea of sin is missing the mark. To miss the mark or a target. It's like a target map. I've always thought of shooting arrows, that kind of thing. Failing to measure up to a standard is also a part of that. So if I can stay with my basketball analogy a little bit, the goal is to do what? And some of you are like, yeah, I'm not really into basketball, but you know this to be true. And you think to yourself, just sort of like golf, they spend their whole time, you know, hitting and whacking a ball to get into a little cup. Well, in basketballs, they throw the ball around. They're trying to get it into a little hoop. Yep, that's the goal. That's the goal. The desire is to get the ball through the hoop. That's how you score. That's the target. All right? And to miss the target means you don't get the ball to go through the hoop into the net and score points, right? It's like somebody shooting what's called an air ball, right? Air ball, and they all stand up and laugh, and then they mock you for the next couple times down the court. Air ball, air ball. Air ball means you didn't even touch the backboard or the rim, anything. It just hit air. That's embarrassing. I remember when I used to have some air balls playing basketball. You missed the target, Carrie. So missing the mark is to miss a mark or a target. It also comes in this, this failing to measure up to a standard can be like an academic. So there is a certain score, a certain mark you have to reach to get above that. You're going to pass the class. If not, if you fall below it, then you fail. So the concept of sin has to do with this idea of a boundary line, a target. And so here's how I sort of put it together. When we sin, we transgress or violate the boundary of God's law, we miss the mark of what he intends for human beings made in his image. It's not a vengeful, wrathful God going, I can't believe you sinned. You stepped across the line. You missed the mark. No, God's going like, I want you to play the game. I want you to score. I want you to win. I want you to pass the grade. Here's the deal. There's some boundaries here. And if you're on the other side of those boundaries, you're heading in some wrong directions. So let's get back in the game. And so the cutting off of the arm, the foot, the gouging out of the eye is this idea that God is speaking to you this morning saying, you're not quite in the game like I'd like you to be in. There's transgressions and missing marks that are happening in your life. Would you come back to me? Would you be willing to let go of some of those things that lead you in that direction? God is for you. He is not against you. God wants you to have an intimate relationship with him. He doesn't want you living up to some religious creed. Are there do's and don'ts? Yes, there's do's and don'ts. But it's not for the sake of winning points with God. It's for the sake of being fully alive in him 
and in his kingdom. How you doing on it in your life? Are there some places that you're transgressing? Some points that you're just missing the mark? That the spirit of God would say enough is enough. Let's deal with it. Let's call it for what it is and let's move beyond it. For the sake of your life. For my glory. And for the future that stands before you. Let's look at some of those transgressions and missing the marks. It's not fun to look at this kind of list. But maybe it's the spirit tapping you on your shoulder saying, hey, maybe maybe these are some that you need to take before God today. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Whoa, okay. Missing the mark. Out of bounds. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sort of sounds like uh, he was a follower of Jesus and what Jesus said. He also says this, Paul does in Colossians 3, 5, 10, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Now, it's interesting. He says that you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. That was pre-Jesus, pre-follower of Jesus. Let me just share with you up front today that um, there is no way that you can walk away from sin or find freedom from that which you're entrapped by. Ultimately, without Jesus Christ being the one who comes inside of your life and transforms and changes your life. And Paul's saying to these, these statements to Christian followers, you used to walk in these ways. You used to live outside the boundaries in these ways. You used to miss the target all the time, miss the passing grade all the time. This was your old life. You used to walk in these ways. You've got to continue through Christ to put these things to death. He goes on and says, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You qualify for any of those? I do. I do. And I say, Lord, help me with my anger or, or my, uh, you know, my, my thoughts towards somebody that maybe is wronged me that aren't, it's not healthy. And Lord, may my language and all that's consumed with how I speak, and that's not just staying clear from the bad words, it's, it's how I speak to other people. Lord, help me to not sin. Do not lie to each other, it continues on, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. There's the beauty, the hope. Christ comes in, he helps you wear new garments. He helps you stay clear from that which is of sin. Here's the challenging thing. There's not just sins of commission, but there's also sins of omission that could be on the list. James 4.17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin to them. You know, when I reread that this week, I'm like, well, great, there it goes. That's all of us for sure. Anything I ought to do and I don't do it, that's sin. So, God bless those who now live in a state of perfection and they do not sin. I can't comprehend it. I'm sorry. I 
as a human being with one foot in Adam, as they say, the sinful nature, inherited sin, imputed sin, however you want to describe it, uh, I sin. And a lot of times my sin is sin of omission and not just commission. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, he uh, exhorts his followers to do stuff that is radical, to stay clear. James 1.13 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I want to make a statement here that's very important for you to understand this morning as we're in this heavy subject. Temptation is not sin. All right? We are all tempted. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted straight on by Satan. He was also tempted with other kinds of things as being a human being born in the flesh as we all were. Yet without sin, he was. Temptation is not sin. But you can make a choice not to succumb to the temptation that's around you. I like how Martin Luther put it. He says, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. Okay? Temptations will come. They'll be flying over you, all that. But you, you need to cut them off. Get them out of your hair. Don't allow it to move into sin. James goes on and he says this. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now he's talking about a pattern. And this is sort of a heads up, get a clue, know what's going on. Things begin with a thought. And the thought comes sometimes through the eye, sometimes through what you're doing with the hands, sometimes through where you're at with your feet. And so the thought isn't the sin, it's the temptation, but that leads to an action where you then cross the boundary line, where you miss the target, and you are now sinning, sometimes even unknowingly sinning. But then you start to embrace that sin, you don't think that serious of it, and then it begins to lead to a habit, and that habit will ultimately lead to destruction. On a weekly basis, I read about individuals who have fallen a lot with addictive kind of things. And some of you uh, are witness to that here in your own life. And God's brought you through that. And he's enabled you to have the power over it. Some of you are in the midst of, you know, seeing God change and transform your life. But isn't it true when you look at addictive patterns and whether it's with alcohol, with drugs or, or uh, other kinds of licentiousness stuff, that, that one thought leads to an action, the action begins to be repeated and then it leads to a habit and then that habit leads to destruction. And as James says here, the sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. You will die with your arm trapped behind that 800 pound boulder. And you need to do something drastic to work your way back to play within the boundaries and not be missing the mark. And it's a serious matter. You're not left alone to do it. The Lord can help you. But it's going to start with you saying, I'm going to change this. This is I, I'm done with this route because the adversary will continue to move you back. The adversary is Satan himself. You don't believe in Satan. I believe in Satan. I think it's pretty adamant in Scripture. And I look at the big picture, what's going on in the world. Satan wants to destroy human beings. And he will push 
each of us to that. And it may not be taking your life. It may just be keeping you from real life. It may be keeping you from intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. It may be keeping you away from the uh, serving in the kingdom of God in some powerful ways. This is our hope. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and that death. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. As Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us. And this, while we were still sinners, God said, I'm going to save them. And so God begins to reach down and make a way through his son. You know, and my challenge is this week going, oh, great. I get to speak on sin this week. That's, a, that's one of the shocking statements of Jesus. Can't avoid it. Oh, this is going to be real fun. <laughs> In fact, I emailed my brother on some matters this week, uh, actually some theological matters, and I made mention that I was preaching on sin. And he says, well, good luck, you know, kind of great. But I emailed back and I said, you know, I get to speak on sin, but you know what's so exciting about speaking on sin is we get to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and that there's hope. He has defeated sin He can bring defeat to the death that's going on in anybody's life, no matter how far down the path of destruction they are. Because God demonstrates his love not only when he sent his son, he demonstrates his love time and time again when he sends his son through the Holy Spirit as we sang about to be in our presence, to listen to his voice and receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, into our life. And it's through his provision that we are able to steer clear from sin. I'm just going to list some brief thoughts here for you. Don't worry about writing these down. You can always get them online with the slides that are listed there. But I just had to clear my mind saying, what are some things we just really need to lay down and say this is what needs to be uh, dealt with when we're dealing with sin? The first is desire to have victory over sin. Romans 8.8 says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. That's just bottom line. Do you desire to have victory over sin in your life? No amount of therapy, uh, special retreats or anything is going to clear you from addictions or sin patterns, no matter how much accountability you have. If you do not want to have victory over sin in your life, it will not happen. So declare it. Number two, name the sin. Call it for what it is and repent. Repent is this, this mindset of turning. I was going this direction. I'm now going to turn and go another direction. Name the sin. Call it out. Even speak it out loud to the Lord. Jesus, this is the sin that I wrestle with. This is the thing that has me pinned that's sucking the life out of me. So name the sin. Call it for what it is and repent. Third is embrace God's full grace in forgiving sin. Can't park here, but you've got to understand fully the grace of God And how his provision through what Christ did on the cross brings to you hope. And that grace and forgiveness is not only for the past, it's for the present and it's the future. Embrace and understand God's full grace in forgiving sin. Number four is pray for the Spirit's power to overcome sin. You are in a battle. We talk about this sometimes. The adversary does not want you to win. He does not want to have you see victory over this sin pattern in your life. You pray. Pray out loud. Pray desperately. Get others to pray for you. Pray for the Spirit's power that can come and dwell within you to help you overcome that particular sin. Because it's going to be through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're able to break free from that rock and live. Number five is reflect on the cause behind the sin. Put your mind to it. Is it something you do? Is it somewhere you go? 
Is it something you look at? What is causing you to fall into that sin area? Reflect on it. And then number six, separate yourself from that which leads to the sin. That's the cutting off of the arm, the cutting off of the foot, the plucking out of the eye. Do it. It may be hard. It may be saying no to those friends. It may be, you know, turning off your cable and throwing your cable subscription away. All right? Throw your computer away. I I don't know what it is that causes us to fall into our sins. I know things that are serious matters. Really? Wow, yeah. There's nothing too desperate, Jesus says, for you to cut off for the sake of the kingdom of God. Number seven is reckon yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God. I don't have a lot of time to park here, but I do want to go to the passage in Romans six eleven, where Paul wrestles with this. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. This idea of reckon yourselves as dead to sin is the thing of waking up. If you've invited Jesus into your life, you are a new being. You do not have to salute to sin. You do not have to succumb to going across the boundary lines or missing the mark. God, through Christ in you, has made you a new being. You need to reckon. It's an accounting term. Know what's to your credit. You are dead to sin. I do not need to do that. That's not me anymore. I'm now alive to God. Number eight, develop mental habits of God-centeredness. Whether it's meditation, staying in God's word, focusing and reflecting on him. Sometimes when you're tempted, you need to ask yourself, Not the question of, oh, how great that would be if I could participate in that sin. You need to ask yourself the questions you'll be asking the next week, the next month, the next year. Oh, if I do that, I wonder how beautiful it would be to tell my wife that I had an affair. Oh, how lovely would it be to tell my kids? Oh, that's some God-centeredness there because you're getting away from the sin and you're moving yourself God, how beautiful it would be to be in the later years of my life as a married couple and only have been with one woman. And the intimacy that we share and and our, our friendship, that it was protected in your environment. How beautiful that is to pass that on to my kids. A life of purity. Now see, our minds don't go there because temptation gets us in the myopic of the moment. We have to develop sin, uh, mental habits that keep us God-centered. And number nine, build community for support and accountability. Now, that's quite a bit of a list. I could keep going, but I ran out of room on the slide. Let me end with this. A lot of people... Maybe you find yourself here. You live your Christian life in a boundary-focused faith. Where's the out-of-bounds lines and how far can I press and still be in the game? I'll stand over here in the far corner. I'm still in the game. Pass me the ball. 
I'm not across the line. Oh, that would be sin. Your focus is on the perimeter of what's a sin, what's not a sin. Do I step over? And instead, you have to move from a boundary focused faith on what can I do and still get away with it and still be okay with God and still, you know, be in the Christian camp. You need to move from a boundary focused faith to a center bound focused faith. Jesus Christ. The target. Who he is. Move in your love relationship to Jesus. And these other things start to appear for what they are. Distractions. Destructive things. I want to press in to know Jesus Christ. The um, story told of a sculptor who was got this big rock and he was going to sculpt an elephant. He's chipping away at this big rock, trying to make an elephant. A questioner comes up and he says, well, what are you doing? And he says, I'm sculpting an elephant. Really? You're sculpting an elephant? Wow, that must be really hard. How do you sculpt an elephant? The sculptor said, well, it's actually quite simple. You just chip away anything that doesn't look like an elephant. This whole subject of sin is chipping away anything that doesn't look like Jesus. You stay focused there. He did not give us a faith that's a bunch of religious do's and don'ts. He gave us a relationship through his spirit with him. And I want to know Christ and make him known. And so these things of earth, the sins, the distractions, Lord, help me by your grace to discard them, to stay clear of them so that I may know you, Jesus. God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He gave his life so you could have life. Will you not give your life to him to experience life abundantly and to love him? The band's going to come. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we've walked through this matter of sin, And the shocking statement that you spoke. We are very mindful. Of our sin. And so Lord I pray here today. Through the protection of your spirit. That there would not be an individual who would leave. Encumbered and burdened by a sense of guilt. As it relates to sin itself. But Lord if through your spirit. You bring the conviction of the sin. For the sake of knowing you. Lord, then may you call people nearer to you. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a life to experience in you. We thank you that you took our sins upon you at the cross and you paid the penalty through your death and then your resurrection so we could not only have forgiveness of our sins but also have power over sin. And so, Lord, here this morning, with heads bowed, eyes closed, I know there's prayers being offered to you. May people be able to come out of the dark into your presence and offer to you their prayers of repentance and their prayers of faith and belief in you. And if anyone here this morning, Jesus, does not know you, I pray they could begin simply there. The one who came to forgive their sins, to give them grace that sets them free from the guilt that haunts them every day. The one who gives them the power 
to know life. I pray they would receive you as their Lord and Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to repeat this song from earlier. Draw near the Lord Jesus Christ. The ushers are going to come to receive Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect card. But we have a great Lord to sing to. We have hope in his grace. Sick with sin. 